Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Man, I tell you what, that is good news that uh, the rock of our salvation doesn't move out from underneath us. He is not like shifting sands or waves of the sea that get tossed back and forth, but he is stable and strong, and that's good news. And uh, excited that you're here today. Kids, if you want to, you can be dismissed to go. Uh, here's a really cool thing you guys are about to find out. I think there might be something awesome outside for you guys this morning, so go check that out, all right, and have a great day. Uh, the rest of you, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's celebrate God's truth together. Philippians Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 uh, is where we're going to be this morning just for a, a little while together. And uh, I want to read this passage to you, starting in verse 1, going through verse 8. Uh, and then as we finish up through some of this passage today, uh, you're going to get a chance to hear from uh, Josh Burke and myself talking about our recent trip that we took uh, to the panhandle of Florida and did some disaster relief work. And so I'm excited about getting to share some of that with you guys this morning, things that we've experienced over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but beginning out, here's what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, if any uh, have any encouragement... From being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So let's just stop there for a minute. And here's what I want you guys to help me out with a little bit this morning. We have some audience participation for a few minutes. Is that okay with you guys? I know it's early. This is the first service. Some of you are still waking up a little bit, but uh, we're going to get a little bit of audience participation. So here's what I want to know this morning. I'm going to ask a few questions. And uh, if you agree with what I ask, just a show of hands to kind of go, I agree. I'm there with you. I see that. It's been good. All right. So here's the first question. Have you ever been encouraged by being united in your relationship with Jesus? You just go, man, it's been good. Jesus has been encouraging to me. I'm united with him in relationship, and that's awesome. Here's number two. Have you ever been comforted by the love of Jesus? Gone through something difficult, and Jesus was right there. His love for you was just overwhelming. You were comforted in his love. Here's number three. Do you think that collectively we have a common sharing in the Spirit of God together? That the Holy Spirit comes in, and he says, I bind you together as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a common binding in the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Fantastic. Here's the last one, number four, and then you can stop with the audience participation stuff. Have you experienced tenderness and compassion from Christ? That you just go, man, there have been times in my life where I've just experienced his tenderness, his compassion for me. And that's encouraging. That's exciting. I look around the room and most, if not all of us, had a chance to raise our hands and go, yeah, I've seen that. I've been there. I understand what Paul is writing about. And I think if Paul were here today, he would be looking around the room going, this fires me up. I'm excited about seeing these things because what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi is exactly this. He's going, if you've been joined together in Christ, if you've been united with him, if you've got a common bond in his spirit, if you've had tenderness and compassion from Jesus, then I want you to be excited in that. And we should be. But then Paul goes on to the next thing and he says, this is all good and well, but he goes, then in verse two, he tells us what we should do if we agree on those things. And so we've all kind of agreed on those things. So here's what's next. He goes, verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being one in spirit and of one mind. Wow. So Paul goes, look, if we've shared all of these things together, if we've experienced the joy of Christ, the tenderness, the compassion of Christ, we've been brought together in his spirit, we've accepted the unity of faith in Jesus, then we should have the same mind, same love, be one in spirit and one of mind. And so Paul would tell us the next step as a group following Jesus is to be like-minded, to be brought together in our common love that our affections would be stirred toward the same things. He goes, I want you to, to be one of mind and one of spirit. We go, man, that's incredible, Paul. That's really a big, big challenge. All right, so here's a question for you. How many of you guys remember watching the original Ghostbusters movie? No, Christians in the room, you're like, ghost, we didn't do that stuff. <laughs> so that's straight from Satan is what that is. Well, I watched it, um, so don't judge me, all right? But uh, here's one of the things I remember from that movie that I thought was pretty cool. At the end of the movie, you've got these guys that are fighting ghosts, and they're trying to keep New York City safe from all these ghosts. And then a lot of you millennials, you haven't even seen this movie. You've watched, you just watched the new one with the girls that came out. You don't even know that there was an original one that happened like 30 years ago or something. Uh, go back, watch that one. But uh, at the end of the movie, they're fighting these ghosts, and, and this one, this one bad person in the, the whole thing. She's running the show and she kind of goes, all right, here's the deal. The next thing you think about is going to come true and it's going to haunt you and destroy you. And so all the Ghostbusters get together and they go, okay, guys, clear your mind. Nobody think about anything, right? Just clear your minds, clear your minds. And they're all sitting there and what do they do? Nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden you start hearing boom, boom, boom. And somebody's looking around going, what, what just happened? And one of the guys, Ray, played by Dan Aykroyd, Ray goes, oh, guys, I couldn't help myself. It just popped in there. Like, Ray, what'd you do? What'd you do? What did you think about, Ray? We weren't supposed to be thinking about anything. And he goes, from my childhood, the only thing that popped into my mind was what? The Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Right? And now all of a sudden, this 90-foot tall Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man that looks like the Michelin Man on steroids <laughs> He comes walking around these buildings in New York, just, and they're like, oh no, Ray, what did you do? We weren't supposed to think about anything, Ray. Well, here's what I want us to do this morning. Paul tells us the exact opposite. He goes, hey, listen, if you're like-minded in Christ, you should be thinking about the same things or even the same thing. So here's what I want us to do, experiment time. On the count of three, I want all of us to think about the same thing. You ready? This is going to be awesome. Because we're like-minded, right? We are unified in Christ. We've experienced the joy of celebrating with him. We're one in spirit. We are, uh, have participated in his, in his uh, compassion and his tenderness for us. So Paul goes, if you've done all of those things, and we have, we agreed, we raised our hands, then we'll be like-minded. So we should, on the count of three, all be able to think of the same thing. You ready? One, two, three. All right, you got it? Tyler, what are you thinking about? Cheese? Cheese? Oh. <laughs> Jesus. He's like, it's church, Joel. I'm thinking about Jesus. What else are we thinking about? All right. Marshall, what are you thinking about? Loving others. Loving others. Okay, that's pretty good. Peyton, what are you thinking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You guys are so spiritual. We're a church. <laughs> it's like Sunday school all over again. Anybody not? Anybody thinking about how bad the Vols looked last night on the second half? What are you thinking about, Michelle? Pumpkins. There we go. Anybody else? Anybody got like 
hot chocolate on your mind or pumpkin spice or something like that. Yeah, here's the deal. If we went around the room and we just asked everybody, hey, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Other than you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and church people, it would be like I've got all kinds of things going on in my mind, and we wouldn't be unified in our thoughts, right? We would all be thinking about all these kind of different things. we got uh, folks that are doing all kinds of stuff this afternoon. Some of you are already like, I, I'm already thinking about lunch. I just wish you would wrap this up so we could get out of here and go do that. I've got some hunger things going on, and I'm just ready for that next step. And so if I went around and polled all of us and went, hey, what are you thinking about? Probably we would come up with almost as many different answers as there are people in the room. And so Paul goes, but wait a minute. We're, we're together in this common sharing of Christ and we're unified in his love and the spirit has bonded us together and we've experienced his compassion. We've experienced his tenderness. So then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Being one in mind, being one in affection. And we go, Paul, how do we do that? And the great thing about Paul is, and the great thing about the Bible is it doesn't leave us just to go, well, then what should we have been thinking about? He tells us. So check this out. Look at what he says next. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And so Paul gives us the answer to the question, what does it look like to be like-minded? When he tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Because this is the heart this is the heartbeat of people who have been changed by Jesus, who've been radically changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes, you start to think as believers in Christ with one mind, this important thought. And if you like to take notes, if you want to follow along on our app, if you want to write some things down, here's the thing that Paul would say to us today. The one thought that brings us together, like-minded, one in soul, one in spirit, one in mind, one in affection. He says, this is it. You're more important than me. None of us should do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Because here's what binds us together. You're more important than me. You're more important than me. You're more important than me. He goes, if we're walking around in this life doing everything we can in humility, no selfishness about us, no pretensions about us, just going, I'm humbled in my own spirit. God is working in me. This is not false humility. This is genuine humility that the change that God is making in me allows me to say to everyone I come in contact with, you're more important than me. I want to serve you. Why? Because you're more important than me. I want to elevate you. Why? Because you're more important than me. I want to see you take a next step. Why? Because you're more important than me. Can you imagine how that would radically change things in our world? Can you imagine how it would radically change things in your life? Hey, married people, take this home with you. Serve your spouse by saying, you're more important than me. And then watch what happens when they go, no, no, you're more important than me. Now you're arguing over something that's like the coolest argument ever. Like, no, 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 you're more important. No, you're more important. No, no, you're more important, right? This will change your home. You think about with your kids just going, hey, you know what? I can be selfish as a parent a lot of times because I want to do what I want to do. And my kids have these really weird things that they want to do and I'm not up for it. I, my imagination doesn't work the same as my kids' imagination does. So when they invite me to play these imagination kind of games and I'm just like, 
guys, this is dumb. I don't understand what we're doing. <laughs> but you know what? You're more important than me. So I'm going to get in the floor and I'm going to play this dumb thing that I don't even understand what we're doing right now. <laughs> and I'm going to try to imagine. <laughs> but because you're more important than me. Hey, at work, can you imagine what it looks like to say to your employees or to say to your coworkers, I just want to serve you because you're more important than me. I want to take you to this next place in life because I want you to see that I value you above myself. You're more important than me. How about in your neighborhood where you just go, hey, I want to serve you because you're more important than me. You see somebody hurting around you and just go, I want to come and meet needs. Why would I do that? Because you're more important than me. Because Jesus has called us in to that kind of relationship. And so when each of us lives our lives that way, can you imagine how it would change the world? Paul understood this. In fact, the Greek word for being of the same mind, the Greek phrase there when he says that we should be of the same mind, that all of us should be of this one mindset, you're more important than me. When he says that, the Greek phrase there is autos phreneo, to be like-minded, to be one autos Freneo of mind, right? And so Paul says, here, this autos freneo that I want you to have, this like-minded, this being of like mind, the word autos in the Greek language, it's described as a baffling wind. Because this is like a baffling wind. When we're all of one mind together, it's almost baffling what this can do. Now, we just have seen in our country, and Josh and I will share in just a minute, have recently just seen the power of baffling wind. Right? A Category 4 plus hurricane that hits the coast of Florida and destroys everything in its path is a baffling wind. And when we look at the power of that and what it's able to accomplish, and when that kind of wind sustained for a period of time comes rushing across the landscape, it takes out everything. Paul goes, that's what Christians could do and be like if we were of one mind. If we walked around with the mentality, you're more important than me, you're more important than me, you're more important than me. He goes, that would be a baffling wind in our culture. We could break down pretensions. We could break down bonds. We could break down all kinds of things because Christ followers are walking around with this mentality. Everything I'm doing, I'm going to make you more important. I'm going to serve you. When we were in Florida, we saw the destruction and the devastation that came from that wind. The, the closest thing we had seen to something like that before last week uh, happened a few years ago in Moore, Oklahoma, when an F5 tornado touched down in Moore. And if you remember that, we lived uh, in, in Texas or Arkansas at the time. I don't remember which because there's storms through there all the time. But when that tornado struck down in Moore, it just leveled the city of Moore, Oklahoma. But that storm was a mile wide, and it touched ground for between 30 seconds and one minute. Now, it leveled everything in its path during those 30 seconds to a minute. In fact, the hospital in Moore, Oklahoma, giant building, hospital, you guys imagine our hospital here, giant hospital, was moved off of its foundation six feet, the entire hospital. That's a powerful storm, right? One mile wide, 30 seconds on the ground. The hurricane that hit Florida last week, two weeks ago now, stretched over a span of over 100 miles 
and it made landfall for over 40 minutes in a direct path across the panhandle. And then it kept on going up as it lost power and became a tropical storm through Alabama and Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina and back out into the Atlantic Ocean. But you think about that kind of devastation. And we saw unbelievable devastation. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But Paul looks at the followers of Christ and he goes, when we're together in one mind, we're not going to have devastation that we leave in our path, but we're like a baffling wind. People can't explain it. What's happening when Christians all around us are going, hey, you're more important than me. I want to serve you because you're more important than me. I want to serve you because you're more important than me. I want to watch out for your needs because you're more important than me. And Paul goes, here's the great thing. We have an example in our Savior for this. And so I want you to see this last part. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul writes and says, In your relationships with one another. So first of all, this starts in the church because he's writing to the church in Philippi. He goes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. And so we act in humility considering others better than ourselves because that's what Jesus did. I mean, think about the love that God has to have for us. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, the one who sustains everything, the one that right now is keeping you alive and that's keeping every molecule in the world intact and that's having the entire universe functioning all at once. This is a big, big, powerful, enormous, amazing God. Think of the love that he has when he goes, I'm willing to humble myself and to come to earth, and to disrobe from my full divinity to take on humanity. And I'm willing to come and serve people that have rebelled against me. People who have no relationship with me. People who don't even want me. I'm willing to come and give my life as a sacrifice for them. Guys, that is a baffling wind. It's changed history. For over 2,000 years now, lives have been changed over and over and over again by the power of this saving grace that comes through Jesus Christ. Because, hey, this is what it looks like to really be a servant. Jesus says, I'm willing to humble myself and to come to this earth to say, you're more important than me. That's pretty powerful. He says, I'm willing to take on the very nature of a servant so that I can show you what it means to know the Father, to have a relationship with Him. And so we do those exact same things when we say, you're more important than me. So here's the last question. What tangible things do you need to do to show others this week? Hey, you, you're more important than me. What's the tangible thing or things that you need to do this week to show your spouse you're more important than me. I want to meet your needs. I want to serve you. Show your coworkers, your employees, hey, you're more important than me. I want to serve you. I want to, I want to humble myself and take off any thoughts that I'm somebody of significance and worth and value. You are. You're incredibly worth-filled and full of value. 
but not any more than Jesus who looked at us and went, I'm, I'm willing to, to take off all of my glory to come and humble myself and to show you what a real servant looks like. So what do you need to do? How do you show your kids that this week? How do we serve them? How do we exalt and edify other people? Even if it means we take a step back and say, you're more important than I am. And so I want to just challenge you to be thinking through that and to be asking yourself that question. What can I do this week? What's the tangible things that I can do this week to show other people the love of Jesus because I make them more important than me? Well, last week, Josh and I, Josh Burke, I'm going to ask him to go ahead and come join us, join me on stage. And um, we had a chance to go to Florida. Josh, you want to grab a stool over there? I'll grab this one over here. We had a chance to go to, uh, to Florida, to the panhandle of Florida, and, uh, and do this exact same thing um, with mostly people we didn't know. Uh, a few that we did. I actually have family in the panhandle of Florida, and so uh, my, uh, my grandmother's house, Mike, turn it on. Yeah. There you go. We're good. Um, my grandmother's house uh, had some damage done to the roof, uh, lost shingles, but no major damage done to it. My aunt's house in Lynn Haven, Florida, just outside of Panama City, uh, was completely destroyed. Uh, she had five trees that fell on her house, and, uh, uh, and it was unsalvageable. Um, and unfortunately, that was the case for a lot of people. In fact, when we pulled into my grandmother's neighborhood, a place I've been going for 39 years, uh, it was hard to recognize where we were. They were, I turned onto the street, and I've never had a moment in my life where my jaw literally dropped. This was one of those times that I turned onto her street and just went like, oh my gosh. I, I don't even recognize this road. The destruction is so bad. Uh, and she lives in Panama City proper, not on the coast, on the actual ocean uh, side. And so we were talking about being 60 miles, 40 miles inland. Uh, from where the main part of the hurricane went. But, um, but we had a chance to go and, uh, and to help some folks that were down there and just to say in some way, hey, you guys, we know the need that exists. And, and because you're more important than us, we're going to come and we're going to serve you. And we want to just put ourselves at your uh, disposal to help you in whatever way that we can. Uh, and so I wanted to show you guys some, some images this morning, just of some things that, that happened in Panama City. These first images are just stock photos from some things like NBC.com and stuff like that, because we didn't get down to the coast. But um, that was Panama City. That's in Panama City. Uh, and some, some of these images and photos that you'll see, that's Mexico Beach. Uh, Mexico Beach was almost completely obliterated. Uh, it looked like an atomic bomb went off there. Um, and so you just see the destruction. Uh, you can see where even the, the highway or the interstate there is, uh, is wiped out. We were driving along Highway 98 at one point in time. Uh, my dad and, and another man went with us, and there were places where the interstate or the highway were just completely washed out to sea. Uh, the ocean, as it had come in, had eroded the land underneath it and pulled the, the highway out. And so... Um, so all of these pictures that just show some of the devastation. And so when you see that, it puts into perspective a lot more of what was happening on the coast. Uh, our experience was not necessarily on the coast side. Um, between Mexico Beach and Panama City Beach uh, is also Tyndall Air Force Base, uh, which is where my dad was stationed when he was in the Air Force and where he met my mom. Uh, my mom is from Panama City, and so going to church there around the Panama City area, they met uh, Tyndall Air Force Base, was said to have catastrophic damage done to every single building on the base. Uh, they are basically going to have to tear it down and rebuild it from scratch. 
so if you can imagine the immense power of this storm, and then I want to show you, these are some images of things that Josh and I actually saw. We took these photos driving down uh, and just for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles, there wasn't a tree in the state of Florida that wasn't impacted by the hurricane, either to be bent in half, snapped in half, uprooted completely, uh, to have branches ripped out of them. No tree in the state of Florida between the panhandle had, um, had leaves on them <laughs> at all. Uh, they were all gone. Uh, and so you can just kind of see some of the destruction of the buildings just on the side of the highway as we were driving down, trees bent over and those kinds of things. And so uh, this just shows you a glimpse of some of that devastation. Go on to the next set of slides, guys, because this will now show you some of the work that we actually did. So one of the projects that we had, you see these trees just on people's houses. This lady had, um, that is my grandmother's next door neighbor. They do not have a roof on their house. It was in their backyard and in their neighbor's backyard. Um, when we walked into the front door, went underneath that giant pine tree and into the front door and looked up, it was just sky. They literally had no roof on their house. It will be a total demolished job. They will bulldoze it down and sell the property and start over. That's my grandmother's church. That white thing laying on the ground is the steeple that should be at the top of the church. Um, that's that's Northside Baptist Church in Panama City. Uh, and then that's Josh on the right with the chainsaw in his hand. He is awesome. Uh, he's cutting down trees for us there. Uh, did an incredible job. This is my aunt's home uh, that was destroyed in the storm. And so um, this was the first job we did on day two, just trying to get into a driveway there and then on the back side of that house. And then this was the final job that Josh and I worked on before we left to come back home. Uh, you can see at the bottom. Can you go back to that picture just for a second? You can see at the bottom where the brick is just bent in half. The foundation was destroyed. There were two pine trees that came together and the force of them slamming onto the attic of that house uh, pushed the foundation in. And so that house is, uh, is probably going to be uh, irreparable as well. Um, a young family that lived there. And so, uh, so we had an opportunity to go down and just try to offer help. Uh, for hundreds of miles as we drove, there were either broken uh, telephone poles and lines or none. They were just yeah. gone. Uh, I think every power crew in North America <laughs> was in Florida working. We even saw some signs of energy while we were down there. So some of our local folks were down there helping out, um, which is really cool. But, um, but man, we just wanted to, to have a little bit of a conversation with you this morning and hear some about your trip. One of the cool things for Josh, and if you guys don't know Josh Burke, incredible guy right here. Um, and so this was your first mission trip to go on. Yeah. Uh, to be able to go and, and do a trip like this, of just to go and, and help and be a part of that. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about what your experience was like. We've talked in our church for the last year almost that we want everyone to have an opportunity in, by 2020 to go on a mission trip. We, we hope everybody will take advantage of that and do that, and we want everyone to be able to go. But this is your first one. So tell us a little bit about your experience just serving in that role. Well, uh, it wasn't supposed to be my first trip. I was supposed to go to Kentucky uh, a few months ago, but yeah. uh, my work had other plans. So <clears throat> fortunately, this trip um, wasn't something planned. Uh, seen Joel's email that everybody here probably got, and uh, something just told me that I wanted to go. And so uh, a few phone calls later between work and Joel to see if I could go. Um, didn't look like it was going to happen. And so I sat in my garage and prayed that, you know what, I'm putting myself out there. Um, I feel like you're leading me to go on this trip. And um, if you'll make it happen, I'm there. Yeah. 30 minutes later, my boss called me and said, we got it covered. You can go. Wow. And uh, again, 30 minutes before that, the conversation was, there's, there's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. And so they, they made it work, and I was able to go. And um, it's a very, very rewarding trip. Yeah. Um, 
and it wasn't what I was expecting. I, you know, I, I planned on going down and doing some chainsaw work <laughs> and uh, maybe get to minister to a couple people, but uh, the the main focus and that was stressed throughout the trip um, was that we're not here for that. We're here to uh, share hope, minister to the people, and that's affected in this area. Yeah. And um, and but we're going to do that, open the door through the work that we came. Yeah. So we just saw some of the pictures uh, of our, our trip in time, but describe some of the things you saw or you remember. What stood out to you that was just significant or impactful uh, from, from driving down and being there in, uh, in that space and those kinds of things? Yeah, so like you said, uh, the trees is the first thing you notice. Uh, we were actually in Georgia, um, 150 miles away, and you know there wasn't a billboard left standing. Um, even the, the the big metal Cracker Barrel type signs were yeah. either bent over or broke off at the top. And so you know we're we're still two and a half three hours away from Tallahassee, and we're seeing unimaginable damage. Yeah. Um, but once you do get within the hurricane area, uh, like I said, there's not a tree that's untouched. Um, like they're all broken, bent over, uprooted. I, you know, I've seen that on a small scale from a tornado, but never 450 miles wide yeah. of just every tree gone. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be a lifetime, you know, think about yeah. that for those trees come back. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there's nobody, whether, even if their house wasn't affected, there's nobody in that area that's not somehow emotionally or mentally or physically yeah. uh, impacted by it. Yeah, so the team that we were stationed with, we were in a place called Crawfordville, which is just southeast of Tallahassee. And um, to get into Panama City was about a two-hour drive, but with traffic and because a lot of stuff were down to one lane and telephone uh, companies along the sidelines trying to repair poles and those kinds of things, sometimes it would take us three and a half or four hours to get into Panama City to work. Five. And so five coming home <laughs> one day for you. Um, and so... Uh, uh, yeah, just the, the destruction that was going on, that had gone on, was am amazing. Uh, the team that we were with is actually just this weekend moved to Port St. Joe, which is more on the coast. Uh, they are seeing real incredible damage areas that they are now working with and trying to get uh, power restored and people's homes repaired and, and restored back to where trees are off of them and those kinds of things. And so, uh, so there's an incredible need that's still going on there. Um, talk about a little bit of the team we were with. Uh, and, and who we served with and, and what we did just from that scope. Because uh, you got to run a chainsaw most of the time, which is cool, and that's right up his alley. Uh, but what were some of the, the kind of projects that, that we did, and what did you see there? Well, so we were stationed with kind of a mixed group of people. Um, when Initially, when we arrived, it was the Sullivan Baptist feeding team. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, not going to lie, I was looking forward to running the chainsaw more than feeding. But we were there to do whatever we needed to do. Yeah. But uh they, that's a very impressive operation. Yeah. Um, those guys. By the way, we walked in and we went down. Uh, the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Team is who we went with. Um, we're not a Southern Baptist church. If you're new to us, we're a non-denominational church, but uh, have ties into the Southern Baptist Convention and love the churches uh, of our association here, Sullivan Baptist Association, and uh, in Morristown where I grew up, I have strong ties there. And so uh, we went down with them when we walked in the first night into the church where everybody was staying. Uh, everybody on the team that goes down is retired. They just, they're people who are retired and have time on their hands and they go on these trips. And so Josh and I walk in and, and every, we're like the last people to get there and everybody's 65 and older, 70 and older. And they all turn around and look at us like, you guys are in the wrong place. Who are you? You know, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And we're just like, uh, give us a chainsaw, I guess. I don't know what you need. Um, but yeah, man, we, we had a chance to be the, uh, the young bloods. Yeah, for we, that trip. We, we uh, changed the age curve dramatically. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but 
Actually, I think they even somebody even tried to offer us like we needed any supplies or anything. They thought we were people coming to you know. Right, right. Help. They thought we were there. To get, <laughs> is everything okay at your house? Do you guys need anything? We're like, uh, it's fine. We're like six hundred miles away. But the the first group we got to meet was the feeding team, and um, they have a mobile kitchen. Um, again, it's from this area right here in Sullivan Gardens, and um, it was very interesting to learn that those guys were set up to feed twenty five thousand people a day, and that was just half their team. The other half was in North Carolina. If they had their full team, they're capable of feeding 50,000 people a day. Yeah. And that whole operation was there set up, and we got to see that all go together and, and learn about it. And So that, that was impressive enough. Yeah. Um, but as his, his dad came back in that day from looking at jobs, we got to meet some of the other saw teams. Um, and what those guys do is they bring either tractors or bobcats with um, big grapple hooks on the front, yeah. and they've got guys that just run chainsaws or people that have a construction background. And we go out. I think most of us were in teams of about 10, give or take. Yeah. And um, they'll get a list of jobs for that day. And they go out. They may tarp a roof. They may cut trees off a house. Just about anything to yeah. meet someone's need out in the field. But um, I think by the end of the week, we probably had four or five different saw teams. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we first got there, uh, there was only three male showers and one female shower. Um, and there was about 60 of us fighting over those showers. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't get back till 9 o'clock, and the food was already put up. <laughs> so we, it wasn't too big of a fight for us. But uh, as the week progressed, more people started to show up, and that became more of a challenge. And so we had a couple shower and laundry teams that that's all they do is they bring a trailer that's full of washer and dryers, and they take care of people's clothes, whether it's us serving, uh, the National Guard next door, or people out in the community that just need to wash their clothes. They're yeah. there for that. I think we have one out of Fall Branch, one out of Mountain City. Yeah. And there was another one. I can't remember where they came from. But yeah. um, then we yeah, had some those, those trailer facilities are amazing, though. You walk in and there's four showers inside of an enclosed trailer like we have in the back of our property or laundry units. And so the National Guard that was set up behind us a, on a campus there uh, had not had showers or laundry for four days uh, because they were in a place that didn't have power. They were staying in a place that still had, had no power, no water. And so, um, so they were able to come over and we were able to feed their teams. They had about uh, 25, 30 people on, on the National Guard team. Uh, and they all brought over those giant bags that they carry you know, on their back full of clothes. Stinky, dirty, nasty clothes. And so our teams were able to launder all of their stuff. They would come over at night and they would take showers in the trailer. And uh, it was really, really amazing uh, just to kind of have that available. And not only for them and our teams, but for people in the community. If, if there was somebody in the community that said, I don't have water at my house, well then come here, you can, you can take a shower, we'll do your clothes, we'll do your laundry, you drop it off, we'll wash it, fold it, it'll be in a bag, and when you come back later tonight, you pick it up, you take it home with you, it's ready to go. Uh, and, and we weren't the only team yeah. that was like that. All over the panhandle, churches had converged with teams like that, feeding teams, shower teams, laundry teams, chainsaw crews, and they would just set up uh, in churches, in parking lots, and, and just go out each day and find projects uh, to do to help people. So really amazing to kind of yeah. see those things. Um, Man, discuss some of the things that you weren't expecting to happen with the trip. You go down and there's always expectation. We're going to help people out. But what were some things that you saw God do that you, you weren't necessarily expecting to happen? Well, so, you know, I mentioned before, I mean, in my mind, I was, you know, didn't know what to expect going down. Um, but I initially thought, you know, we're, we're going to be feeding people. We're going to be running chainsaws, hopefully. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'd be doing that. But And maybe we would get one or two chances. There would be that one moment we would get to meet with somebody and uh, we would get to share, and that wasn't the case. Um, what really shocked me was no matter where we stopped, I went to the dollar store to get a towel and some soap because for some reason I packed enough clothes for seven days. I didn't <laughs> take a towel or soap. Um, 
Now, Joel probably had three of each, but... Um, <laughs> no, so, I mean, just talking to the cashier at the, at the dollar store, I mean, you could tell, you know, he had power, but they were just in a state of shock, um, just what they were seeing in their community, the people that were coming in. Um, you know, we went to Tractor Supply, and yeah. just, you know, one of the guys there, he was there working the disaster relief, but yeah. we were able to kind of share with him and offer some encouragement. Just everywhere you went, no matter how little or, you know, how big they were affected, everybody was just in this state of just shock and didn't know how to respond to the event. And so that really surprised me. But um, I think mostly um, what got me was, you know, after I kind of seen that every day we started off, we're not here to cut trees. That's just what gets us there. If somebody wants to come talk to you, you drop what you're doing, you go talk with them. And uh, there there definitely wasn't a shortage of that. (laughs) There was always people that that wanted somebody to talk to. And um, so the the lady you've seen the picture, I was in the bucket cutting trees. She was 92 years old? 92. Her name was Miss Pamela. Uh, No, Pauline. Miss Pauline. Pauline. Uh, 92 years old. And uh, she was actually trying to sell her house. She wanted to downsize. That was a three-story house right on the highway. And she had been trying to sell it. And now she's got five trees leaned up against it. And, uh, and you heard, couldn't find her driveway. It was covered with trees and debris. And so our team came in to just to clear out and give her some semblance back of her home uh, to be able to get it ready to sell. And so, yeah. Yeah, so we, I didn't get to go the first day. I think Joel and his dad started on that job. And so we got to go the second day and uh, do the bulk of the work. And we pulled up that morning. Um, I drove by myself. They left me alone. Um, but I drove by myself <laughs> a three-hour drive. And uh, when we get there, this little 90-year-old lady is out in her yard with a rake raking up leaves yeah. and debris. And mind you, she would need a couple of tractor trailers to haul of it away, but yeah. she was out there trying to, to clean up her yard. And um, so, you know, we, we approached her and, you know, hey, we got it, you know, take yeah. a break. And um, so we had some people kind of stay with her and talk with her throughout the throughout the day we were working. But I thought, you know what, I want, I want to get her name just to remember this by, I want to talk with her, you know, maybe take my little second to share with her. And um, as I approached her, I was going through my head, what, what could I say? How could I start this conversation? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I introduced myself, and um, you know, I asked her, her name, and she said, "Honey, I'll never remember it." <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's okay. I'll remember yours." And she, she told me, and um, you know, I had everything I wanted to say, but then, like, all of a sudden, she turned it around on me, and um, she said, "Well, honey, I know I'll never see you again after today, until we get to heaven." Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, here I was thinking about what I was going to say to her to share the good news and the message with her, and um, she she didn't need that for me. Yeah. She just needed somebody there. To, to be with her, and she ended up ministering to me. Um, I almost had a Joel emotional moment on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I thought we would be the ones giving that out. But um, yeah, if you guys know me, I'm an emotional person. Man, when we got to Florida and um, he cried twice, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was ugly cry too. Um, listen, I, t- I tell you. Um, I stood in my grandmother's front yard and looked at the devastation of her neighborhood, and it was impossible not to cry. I was just, I was just floored by that. We could take a team of people from our church. We could take our church, entire church to her neighborhood, and we could work down there for a month just trying to clean people's yards out and get it, get it back in some semblance of, of recognition. Uh, and so to stand there in her yard, it, it was... It was very emotional uh, for me because it was so personal to me. It was family, right? Uh, I had a, a cousin and her family as well who lived who lived in Panama City, and um, her husband owns an auto body shop, and and 
uh, they had decided to ride out the storm. They weren't going to escape to Alabama with some of my other family. They were going to ride out the storm. And so they went to his auto body shop, which was a hurricane-rated building and, uh, and was 34 feet above sea level. And so they felt very safe in going there. And about 10 minutes into the storm, the building shifted off of its foundation. And they had to make a run from the building in the hurricane-force winds to, a, to their truck. And their family rode out the hurricane in the floorboard uh, of their truck. Um, and so we, yep, um, <laughs> we didn't hear from them the first day and a half after the storm because there was no cell phone capability. Um, we didn't know if they had survived the storm or not. Uh, and so, yeah, man, being there, that's, that's emotional, right? And then um, I had an opportunity to do a devotion for the team the next morning uh, with our disaster relief team and, and just to share some of my heart about that. And all of these things are just fresh, right? It's just like ripping a bandaid off of a wound. And so when I got up to share about what Jesus can do in us and through us and with us, as we go out and serve, man, I just couldn't hold the tears back. And, and it was ugly crying, right? Like, <laughs> and I'm apologizing. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm not usually like this, which was a lie. I usually <laughs> um, <clears throat> They didn't know that, though. They didn't know me. Um, but, uh, but, man, after it was over, just to have people come up and go, look, I mean, it's, it's, fine. it's good to cry. It's good to let those things out because it's, it's, it's a way that we deal with, with the grief or loss or those kinds of things. And so... Um, so it was very, it was very emotional. Oh yeah. And, and if you know people that were in that area or affected by that or have friendships or you've been in that kind of situation before, maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's not a storm. Maybe it's just a life circumstance. You've gone through something hard. You've lost someone you love. It's been a difficulty. You've gotten a bad diagnosis, and and it's okay to to go through those stages of grief and to deal with those things. In fact, it's healthy to do that. And it's good to process and do that. Um, and so. Uh, it's good for us to know how, when we go and when we serve and we give to others and we see their need, that we can identify with them in their need and meet them in that place emotionally as well as spiritually and physically. Um, yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. One thing to it's add, you, know, you talked about your family sheltering yeah. in their vehicle. Um, I can assure you that was not the safest place to be. No. Um, every vehicle that was left behind, you know, box trucks, a 100-car train, we're all on their side or upside down. Yeah. Um, so the vehicle they were in is a miracle that it, it stayed upright with them. Yeah. Um, after seeing what we've seen down there, there's no such thing as a hurricane-rated building, in my opinion. No. Um, no. Nothing's safe from it. Yeah. Um, well, man, thanks so much for being willing to share this morning. Here's I want to just kind of close up. You can stay here if you want to. You don't have to, but if you want to. It can be emotional support. Um, I got your back. Thanks. Um, I want to just kind of end by telling you, man, what, okay, so we talk about these things and we see this. And, and honestly, because so many natural disasters have hit our country lately and we, we see this thing, these things happen over and over and over and it hits the news for two days and then there's something else and we shift or it's political season right now and so we've got to deal with midterms and we've got to trash everybody and so we're going to move to that and we're going to forget the hurt and the devastation and the pain of people that are, that are still, still reeling from these things. And so to, to not let this just go from our mind and to keep it present, some of the questions that you might ask, okay, well, what can I do to help? Like, what's next? What could be a next step? 
Uh, and so there's a few things that I would encourage you to think about and for us as a church to think about. Um, number one is donating supplies to the relief effort. And if you go out here to the left, out these doors, you'll see a lot of you have already brought some supplies in, canned goods, uh, clothing items, blankets, pillows, those kinds of things. Uh, we have a list of those things. We'll email them out again tomorrow just to refresh your memory on those things. But just to donate relief items, uh, we're going to take those to an organization in Morristown called God's Warehouse. That That's one of the things that they do is they constantly ship trucks to areas that have been impacted by these kinds of things. And so if you have supplies that you would, could donate that could be helpful to people who are trying to get back on their feet again uh, and just meet some needs, there, that's one of the ways that we're going to help is we're going to take supplies. Uh, I think in two more weeks is our next time to go uh, to Morristown and, and take those supplies there, and then they will ship them out over the weeks and months and even years to come. So, uh, so there's no shortage of need in supplies that you could bring in, okay? Um, number two is think about going on a trip uh, to help in some ways with, with something like this. Uh, that, that we're going to look at what it might look like for our church to come together and join in with something like this. And, and Josh, man, driving home, he was like, I can't wait to go back. I want to go back. I want to get people and go back. And I think he just likes to hold a chainsaw. But, um, <laughs> but there is a need for, for bodies to go who can just help and love and serve. And so we're going to be looking at what it would take to put a team together, uh, either in the winter months here or spring, early spring, uh, to take some people down. Because trust me, the need will still be there. Uh, and so we're going to be starting to work on how could we go and what could that look like and how can we go and serve and, and bless people and help people. Um, so think about going. Uh, and then finally, make financial donations to help provide for some of those ministries. Um, some of the things that we talked about at the Southern Baptist Convention and, and in our area, the Sullivan Baptist Association, to make donations to them uh, for their food trucks and gas and uh, all the things that it takes to run uh, trucks, if you can imagine feeding 25,000 people a day, uh, that's no small undertaking. Uh, and so to make donations of some, some size uh, to an organization like that, we'll post tomorrow as well uh, on our Facebook pages and, and uh, email some places where you can just know, hey, if you wanted to give, here's where you could do that. Uh, you can give through the church. We'll make sure it gets to the right place if you want to designate that in a, in a giving item. Uh, and we'll make sure that money goes to the right places to help. Uh, but those are just a few ways that, um, that we could help. And then the final thing I would say is just don't forget uh, and, and pray. And so how I want to end our time this morning just in this service, and Kyle's going to come back up and, and we're going to do a final song, but I want us just to pray uh, for the people of Florida. Um, North Carolina that was hit about a month ago is still very much reeling as well from storms. Uh, West Virginia flooded uh, several months ago. There's still a lot of damage and need there. Uh, and so we just need to, to remember that while, while the national media moves on from these things, that the people of God who say, you're more important than me, we keep these things in our mind and we continue to lift up and help and serve and build up uh, people who are, who are in need like that. And so if you would, would you just join me and let's pray. Uh, we'll pray for, uh, for people who have been impacted and ask God to show you, man, what, what can you do? What would your way of being, you're more important than me, of saying that, uh, what would it look like for you to take a next step to help in some way for that? So let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, God, I love you. I'm thankful for an opportunity this morning just to share uh, about the things that you allowed us to experience, Josh and I to experience and to see in Florida. We're thankful, God, that, that even through storms, 
You're sovereign and in control. There are a lot of people who ask in times like that, well, where was God? Why did he let that happen? And the truth is, God, you're, you're sovereign over those things. And it didn't shock you off your throne that that happened. And one of the ways that you respond and that you show your love is by sending your people in. And God, where so many people would flee or just would, would do things for their own gain, there was incredible looting and, and violence that was taking place in Florida even while we were there. People just out for themselves. And it's understandable to a certain degree. They're desperate for help. But part of where you show up is that you send your people in. And so, God, we want to be willing servants to pray for people, to give to their need, to make supplies available to them, and then ultimately maybe even to go and just be boots on the ground, to offer a handshake and a hug and a prayer and maybe cut a tree off someone's house or help them to get back on their feet in some way. So, Father, help show us what our next steps need to be in saying to a world around us that's hurting and in need, you're more important than me. We love you and we trust you to show us that. And we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.